it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle, and uh, I, I turned and looked, and it was, it was already moving away. And it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75-degree angle straight down, almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon Silence crippling confusion and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to the Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 89. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to do a little more of a deep dive into the 10K. That's one of our favorite things to talk about. I know I like to geek out about 10Ks, and so does Andrew. So we're going to talk a little bit more about them. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and start us off there, big guy? Yeah, sounds good. So 10K, another way of saying a company's annual report. This is the document that every company, every public company is required to file. And this is where you will find all of the information about a company. We've talked about some of the important ratios and some of the important metrics that you'll find on there, some of the important numbers. So I think today maybe we talk a little bit more about some of the qualitative side. I've been reading a lot of 10Ks lately and have seen some similarities, some some things that have stuck out. And you know, based on some of the previous discussions we've been having the last couple episodes. You know, uh, on the last episode with Brayden, uh, Brayden and I were talking about uh, trying to find a qualitative factor and how that how that helps you make a decision on whether you want to buy a stock. Uh, talked about kind of this whole idea of 
buying stocks with products that are either commodity products or uh, versus maybe one where a product is priced at a premium, maybe it's a value add uh, and the differences there. So that's maybe where I can start and something I can shed some light on. Basically, uh, you know, when you want to look at a stock and you want to determine, okay, how do I look at this outside of just what the numbers are telling me? What kind of common sense things or what can I observe in my day-to-day life that can help me when I'm looking at stocks and making these tough decisions? You know, we talked about previously about that listener who had a question about, well, I got a list of stocks. How do I choose between narrowing it down to just one and digging deeper into the 10k is another way you can do that so when you look at the 10k one of the first sections and it's i think actually the first section uh with the 10k is lately uh you can click on the link they'll have like a link on each section you click on the link and it will like teleport you down to that section of this 100 page document it helps you kind of keep track of where you're at and, and get you going where you need to go real quick. So every 10K is going to have at the very top like a business overview. And when you look at it, maybe it kind of seems a little corporate but it's actually a really great place to get a background on the business to understand because if they're a good, good management, a good team, um, good kind of shareholder oriented based management they're going to try to convey as much information to you as they can uh, while also being concise and um, hopefully objective so they're not being too biased one way or the other so they'll they'll try to give you a little bit of a background they'll give you the standard like oh this company was incorporated at this time but then you'll start to see progression so like one of the stocks I was looking at today, this is a stock that is basically a supplier of rear view mirrors and they, they, they do dimmable rear view mirrors. And so they, in the history, they were talking about how they acquired certain businesses and you know when it happened and you can kind of see the growth and the morphing of this business. So for this um, stock that I own a uh, a decent position in basically they started out as like a fire safety company and then uh, they moved on to rear view mirrors and that really exploded for them they've gone on to add other features that include garage doors and, and other parts of like home security and kind of wrap that all into a rear view mirror and so you start to see a picture of before even getting into the numbers you start to understand okay uh this is where they started. This is where they are now. This is how they've grown. Um, this is their cash cow. And maybe this is their growth story. Um, the part of their business where there's more growth potential. So you can start to get a feel for that. And so as an example, when I'm looking at a stock, maybe Dave, you can give an example after this of like, let's say just a common sense. I'm going to look at a business overview and I'm going to take my observations from daily life I'm going to apply it to thinking if the stock's going to be around in, say, 20 years. So I'm looking at this stock. They have uh, rear view mirror is their big cash cow. 
So I'm, I'm thinking in 10, 20 years, what are some of the big things I see? Um, do I think cars are still going to be on the road? Yes. Is there a, sh- a possible shift in the way cars are driven? Yes. We're seeing autonomous driving, right? We're seeing this possibility that people are talking about where everybody's, it's going to be like everybody's Uber where nobody owns a car and you just jump. There's going to be like a system of cars and you just jump in and there's going to be an autonomous driver and it's going to be like Uber on hyperdrive. That's a possibility. Now, kind of observing all of that in my day-to-day life and thinking about how does that affect this particular investment? Well, regardless of whether things stay the same or if they evolve into this sort of super steroid hyper Uber environment with robot cars, either way, they're still going to need these rear view mirrors. Either way, they're still 93% market share today on, on this in this industry. So I'm feeling pretty good about the chances that in, let's say, 20 years, they're still going to be producing profits for shareholders. That's kind of one of those basic examples of how you can take something as simple as the first couple paragraphs of a 10K and try to get an overall picture before you even look into the numbers. That's a great example. A company that uh, I can use as an example of that is uh, Trinity Industries, a company that I bought a little while ago. When I was reading the 10K about them, so to answer the question, what do they make? They make train cars. And do I think that trains are going to be around in 20 years? I do. Do I think it's going to change? Probably. But another thing that I noticed in there that was very helpful that I would have never thought about was the, what are they made of? They're made of steel. And that's a commodity that is highly volatile. and when I invest in that company, one of the things that I dug into was the price of steel and the fluidity of the price of steel in that industry. And I learned that quite a bit of the steel that uh, is produced in the world actually comes from China and they actually have been hoarding a lot of it. And so that's been something that is actually a risk for that company that I would have never thought about in a million years. If I hadn't just read really quickly their overview of the company and it gave me some different insights into that company that I could investigate more before I pulled the trigger and bought the company. If I just thought about, hey, this is a train company, yeah, a train's gonna be around for a while, sure, no problem. And really just kind of moved on from there and not paid attention to you know the steel industry. And that's something that I check on a fairly regular basis just because of that investment. And I thought that that was something that was something that I would have not ever really just, you know, just looking at the numbers, I would have never thought about. So that was something that I thought was kind of an interesting take on what you're talking about. That's a perfect little segue, a little train track to what I want to talk about next. So (laughs) (laughs) not made of steel. This is is made out of an idea and another bad joke. So the next part, like below the business overview, is, is you'll get risk factors. And this is the opportunity for a company to be frank and make some honest disclosures about some of the downsides of, of buying their stock. And so they'll have a huge risk factors section where they'll talk about, just like you mentioned, Dave, and I'm sure this is in their 10K, 
for Trinity where they'll say, you know, something like we are, we are dependent on the price of steel. Steel is a cost for our business. And if the price of steel goes up, our profits go down because we need steel to make our products. So you'll see a pretty long list of those different types of risk factors. Some of them are helpful and some of them are just kind of stupid. So I hope we can save some time by giving you some examples of maybe ones to look for and ones to ignore. So I think like, obviously that one's a great one. Anything where they talk about costs and their expenses, any sort of commodity risk that they have, any sort of exposure to commodities, stuff like that. When I see things like we are we could be adversely affected by terrorist attacks we could be adversely affected by nuclear war we could be adversely affected by an economic slowdown right or we're a cyclical industry and if the economy slows down or if the economy goes into recession then there's risk there to me that's not really a big deal because i'm in for the very long term right so those are some examples of stuff where you can just you, you read the the sentence that they do and then there's a big chunk of paragraph below that and you're like, well, I probably don't need to read that because these are risks that you would have with any stock. So some of it's filler and that's kind of just, that's the way it goes. It's the name of the game. So hopefully by telling you these things, you can be aware and you can be able to sift through a lot of these words, all this corporate speak and, and maybe be able to find useful things in there. Something that I found... Very, very useful. I have another stock that I own. And, you know, like I kind of mentioned at the top, we talk about this idea of commodity commodity products versus non-commodity products. And I think I heard on the podcast recently, I can't remember which one it was, they were talking about Warren Buffett and he said something like, find me a commodity product that I can sell at a premium and that's the type of business model I want to have. So like examples we've talked about in the past, like a Hershey's, any sort of strong brand where people are paying above cost and they're happy to do it. So going back to my example, the stock I own, they say right out front, uh, right in the risk factors portion, they say, hey, we... we um, we sell a commodity product. So they're upfront and frank with me. So I don't have to figure out, is this a commodity product or not? I think that when you can see that in there, it's, it's very helpful and it helps you, again, get a picture of how predictable or unpredictable is this company and how do I see the future there? So I'll contrast that now to you know, my rear view mirror example to this example do their commodity and and um for this stock they do two, they have two major segments it's vinyls and um I'm blanking on the first one I just read it too all olefins so very scientific terms things I'm far from an expert in and really things that I can't tell you with any sort of honesty whether in 20 years if these things will be profitable uh, I know the applications, the applications for it too are so wide where it's 
it's not like 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 some of the some of the stocks you can get where you're kind of betting on on an industry without directly betting on it, right? So um, if you if you like if you like the way the computer industry is working, you can buy a stock that sells to these big computer companies, and you're essentially betting on the computer industry uh, by buying this certain stock. Uh, so you could do that. I the stock some stocks are just so big and they're a huge conglomerate and a huge mix of all these different things where you can't reasonably do that. The stock that I'm talking about that I own, I definitely can't do that. So now you might be asking, okay, why do you own this stock? And this is an example where it goes more towards the numbers and the things that I see and where I steer away from the qualitative part of this. So, you know, I've talked about how I split my portfolio into two segments. I have the dividend fortress and I have the regular portfolio. With the regular portfolio, I have a lot more freedom, I guess you would, you would call it. I have a, a lot longer leash. Or I guess it would be a shorter leash. I have a shorter leash on these things. Um, and I have the ability to kind of sell them short quickly because I'm not looking at like a 20 to 30 year time period like I would a dividend fortress, right? This one I'm looking at Okay, I'm I'm really liking the discount to the intrinsic value. I I still have a good dividend yield, and this particular stock has a nice long dividend history of growing the dividend. They have a nice yield. They're they're growing it quite nicely, and I'm getting nice compound interest out of it. But because the quality of the part for me isn't there, I'm going to be watching it more closely than I would like let's say Disney, where I'm so confident that that's going to be around in 20 years. That's a dividend fortress right there. Unfortunately, too expensive to add on now. But one of those where I'm just, you know, I'm happy to own it and I'm happy with the qualitative nature of it. And, you know, unless it gives me one of the huge red flags, I'm, I'm going to hold on. Whereas with something like this, where I bought it because I really like the numbers, I bought it because I liked the discount to intrinsic value I was getting. I liked the the dividend yield. I liked the the way the dividend track record's looking. I liked the way the earnings are growing. I like the way the whole business is kind of working from a number standpoint. So with something like that, you know, obviously with both both kind of methods, when things are going good, it's really easy. You just hold and, and you reap the rewards. When things are going poorly, that's where you start to really kind of try to make that's where like the shorter leash comes in. So with a Disney I might give a little more leeway, you know, as long as it's not a, a red red flag. I might give a little bit of leeway. Like let's say if Disney continued to pay a dividend but they didn't grow it, right? They they had to stall the dividend. Maybe they reduced the dividend. They're still paying the dividend, so I'm still getting some sort of income, but they they fell in some really tough times. Because I still feel so strongly, as long as they didn't, if, as long as they didn't lose money that year, or as long as they didn't really rack up debt, I'd probably still be fine holding that. And that's why it's a dividend fortress. You contrast that to this company, that's that's the more sciency company. If they if they halted their dividend growth and they still pay the dividend, same situation. That's somewhere where I would probably just kind of sell. Because I'm not so I'm not as certain about the qualitative part of it, so I'm really really making these decisions based on the numbers. 
it's also another one where you know when you when you try to debate like taking a profit or you know selling because a business is so so much higher above its real intrinsic value that's another one where maybe you know if if i've got a better opportunity somewhere with much higher yield compared to the yield on costs i've got then that might be another thing that you consider does that sound crazy dave or does that sound like i don't know actually where you where you fall on the whole i guess commodity versus not like when i'm looking for dividend fortress i'm definitely not wanting to invest in commodity product businesses but when it comes to value investing sometimes you go where the deals are and so sometimes that does mean investing in in these commodity type businesses even though you know it might not be your first kind of preferred thing uh sometimes the the margin of safety kind of should dictate where your money goes do you agree do you think that's crazy what do you think budgeting was always a challenge for me i struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money not to mention all the time tracking down receipts cataloging expenses and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until monarch money Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? Then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. 
It was the age of classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh, stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Z's, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep podcast with Benjamin Boster. If you're tired of sleepless nights, you'll love the I Can't Sleep podcast. I help quiet your mind by reading random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. Each episode provides enough interesting content to hold your attention and then your mind lets you drift off. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. That's I Can't Sleep with Benjamin Boster. I think it's crazy. No, I I think it's... Uh, I think, honestly, I think... It- depends on what you're looking for so if you're looking for the dividend fortresses aristocrats kings that kind of thing i'm going to have a different set of criteria for choosing something like that than i am if i'm just out shopping looking for a deal because if i'm value investing you like you're saying i'm looking for a company that i can understand that i can invest in that's going to have a margin of safety and then everything else is going to fall in line whether it's a commodity or not a commodity, I guess I'm not going to be quite so picky in that regard. It's going to really depend on whether I can understand the company or not. And when inter- whenever, I guess when you're thinking about commodities, I think about, I guess, kind of throwing out two areas that you think about. One is a company that drills directly in a commodity, something like a company that deals with oil, for example, because oil is a commodity and it's such a volatile thing. And the price of it fluctuates daily, hourly, you know, weekly, monthly, it's all over the place. And so your mindset is when you're investing in a company like that is going to be completely different than if you're buying a company like Corning who makes glass. Now, the thing about Corning though, is they're still, there's still a commodity aspect to it because when they make glass, it says right here in their 10K that their manufacturing processes and products require access to uninterrupted power sources, which is a commodity, significant quantities of industrial water, again, a commodity, certain precious metals, and various batch materials. It says right there in that first line of the raw materials in their 10K. So it's talking right there about commodities. So they rely on a commodity. When I was talking about Trinity Industries a few minutes ago, they rely heavily on steel, which is a commodity industry. So there are aspects of these companies that build other things that are still going to have a commodity aspect to them. Anybody that's building anything is going to have a little bit of that, of that to deal with. And 
one of the things that I really, you know, think about when I'm trying to invest in these companies is, you know, we're kind of talking a little bit about the qualitative versus the quantitative. And these are other things that you can pick out of the 10K that will jump out at you. And one of the things that I wanted to kind of throw out there too is when, as you get more experience reading these 10Ks, you're going to, beyond just the beyond just the technical gobbledygook that will come from different companies depending on what it is they're doing like you were you were talking about a company that they were producing something that you are like you said were far from an expert on there's lots of companies that I invest in that I'm far from an expert on I'm not an expert on trains or train cars but I know enough about them to be able to invest in a company like that so I guess my point with this is that you're going to find 10Ks that are much more clear and easier to understand and are going to put things out there for you to make it easy for you to understand the company and to read about them. And I'll, I'm going to give you an example here. So when we're talking about, I was talking about Corning, as you're reading through the business section of the company, they give you a, right at the beginning, they give you an outline of the different segments of their company and then they go down the line talking about each segment and what aspect of the company's sales each segment represents so right off the bat reading this 10k if you've never invested in this company and know nothing about it you're going to have a pretty good overview right off the bat of what it is they do and where their sales come from and that's a big thing to understand and it's so clear and so understanding. And to me, that's an indication of management that wants to be clear and concise and open and honest about what they're doing. The flip side of that is you can read, you're going to read other 10 Ks that you're going to come across. I was just thumbing through Wells Fargo's while Andrew was talking and it's technical. It's not clear. They don't really delineate things. It's really, really hard to kind of really get your, arm around what it is they do it's obviously a bank but you don't they don't list out the different segments of their business and they don't tell you where the revenues are coming from and this kind of thing and it just i'm not saying they're being shady but it's it's just not clear and you really have to work at it to pick it out and that's not really what you want and so when you're reading through these 10ks you're going to find you're going to notice that there's a commonality to the ones that are easy to read, clear, concise, everything's out there. It's easy to, to, for you to kind of decipher what it is they do. And then there's other ones that are going to be just kind of a lot of legal gobbledygook as, as I read somebody say, it's a boilerplate like Andrew was talking. There's a lot of legalese and there's a lot of things in there that will just make it difficult for you to really understand what is the company is doing. And so kind of to go back to what Andrew was saying about the, you know, the craziness of it. I, I don't think he's crazy at all. I think, you know, having a different mindset for each type of business that you're looking at is, is the, I think the wise way to go. And to be clear, it's not like, um, I don't want to insinuate that, uh, you should pick value or dividend growth. I think we should try to find stocks that do all of that. And I think it's very possible to find those that have degrees of that. And hopefully I found a good mix of stocks that do encompass that. But like you said, I think there needs to be a mindset there. And, you know, just as businesses are different with their 
financials, their skill sets and their place in the marketplace, they're also, they can wildly differ in the way they present this data. Well, how's that saying go? It's like how someone does one thing is how they do everything. So maybe, yeah, there's one person or one committee who's who's organizing this annual report, a reflection of maybe how they run their overall business. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So as I, you go down, yeah. As no, as go you ahead. go Oh, okay. As you go down through the rest of the risk factors, one other one that comes to mind because this is something that Buffett talks about and I feel like we should talk about it a little bit. Um and then maybe wrap up with any other aspects you think we should touch on. But this is something I noticed um, and something you can search for to find out quite quickly because, all right, you have different structures of, of the way that ownership is. You have three main types of ownership structures. Well, okay, so there's two, and then and then I'll, I'll mention the third one that Buffett talks about. So the the two different ownership structures is either somebody has a controlling interest in the business, or somebody doesn't, and it's not like a free for all. But there's no one person controlling it. So what that means is every every share of stock, generally, okay, every share of stock will have voting rights. And so let's say you have a thousand shares, right? When when big kind of things need to be voted on and these big decisions for a business, something like being acquired, they might take a vote for all the shareholders to, to see if, hey, here's the price. Somebody wants to buy us out. Should we do it? So that's an example of what they call a proxy vote. So if there's a thousand shares, and let's say I own 501 of those shares, well, it doesn't matter what the rest of those people think because I have... 50.1% of the voting rights. And so my vote's the only one that counts. That would be a controlling shareholder situation. You also have the other situation where maybe there's more activists in it, right? Where there's maybe like Carl Icahn owns 10% of a stock. Maybe um, Bill Ackman owns 7% of the stock. And then maybe there's uh, some hedge fund, big hedge fund, over at BlackRock who owns, let's say, 8% of it. So there's these big players who, if you can sway their vote, convince them to vote one way or the other, that can have a big impact on the direction of the business. But it's not it's not the same as a, a controlling interest. And so why I think this is... I think this is something that... Um, you should maybe at least be aware of with some of the stocks, particularly stocks that are make up bigger portions of your portfolio. While it might not be something where this, this needs to be a decision maker to you, maybe it just helps you understand the business more and helps you understand when the stock price can move. And maybe it can give you insight on if this is a stock that maybe you're already trying to get out of, if you start to see some things happen within the ownership structure, then maybe it's it's a good sign to get out. And it's like that kind of confirmation you needed that, hey, okay, I already had a bad feeling about this company. Now now it looks really bad because I am educated about the the ownership structure. And so 
amount. Now, to understand that, let's let's break it down and, and make a third group. So you have the first group, and this is, I don't want to say majority, but it, it's pretty common where you'll see like what I said before. There's no one controlling shareholder. Uh, so basically, there's no controlling shareholder, and then they have like a regular manager. So that's one example. The second one that Buffett talks about, and this is this reflects on how he runs his corporation, Berkshire Hathaway. You have a controlling shareholder, and you also have a uh, manager of the business, and that's the same person. So it's like Warren Buffett; he's the CEO. He's also the majority shareholder. So it's like it's kind of his way or the highway, right? Like if you don't like what's going on, then too bad. And then you have the third situation where you have somebody who is a majority shareholder but doesn't run the business at all. They're just an owner out out on the side. So Buffett talked about he didn't pick one over the over the other. He didn't say one was better than the other. But I thought it was some good education. Somebody was asking, like, hey, what happens when when you leave? And so in a long way of answering the question, he really gave some good education. It gives us some good insight on what goes on at the top, right? Because I don't think this is really common knowledge to many investors or many, definitely not people in the general public and, and even to many investors, it's not something talked about a lot, but what, what really goes on at the top. So you have, you know, you have shareholders, these are the owners, but then you have the CEO and he's kind of managing the day of the day. Then you have what's called board of directors and they are the ones who make the decisions they're kind of like the Congress to the president. So like they could, the, the board of directors could vote to replace the CEO and get a new one. So you have like a checks and balances type of system within the corporation. And so uh, Buffett said that, you know, so a negative to one of the common structures that you see, which, which is the one where there's no majority shareholder and, uh, just a random CEO is that a lot of times they'll get together and because of the politics, the business politics behind it, they won't want to actually talk about the CEO or, or say anything negatively about them or, you know, vote down like a, a bad acquisition or one where, you know, basically where the shareholders rights aren't being fully defended. It's, it's hard for a board of directors in that type of culture to to affect change in that way and kind of be the odd one out. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but he didn't say it was something that would be so detrimental. It's just something he's observed from being on a bunch of boards. And so it sounds like he doesn't prefer that that um that type of a structure, but it's it's something that we can kind of look at and say, okay, well it's pretty common. I think he was kind of warning about uh, when you have a, a managing owner who's also a majority shareholder like he is. So I guess it's like, do as I say, not as I do. He said that can be problematic for a board of directors because obviously um, it can tie their hands, right? So maybe the lesson there is if you see a, a board of directors where you know that's the situation, the only thing that the board of directors can do if they're not happy or they don't like the what the the managing owners doing all they can do is quit. So if you see a lot of board of directors and you know that the situation is that they have a managing uh, majority shareholder, 
that might be a good sign that, you know, shareholders' interests really aren't being, you know, possibly the manager isn't doing a good job at, at protecting the shareholders. And that might be a good reason to bail. And then the final one where he talked about where the the manager and the majority shareholder are different. He actually said he really liked that structure because um, if a board of director didn't like something, they could actually go direct to the owner and kind of pitch a case and, and maybe change can be affected in that way. Whereas with, with the kind of traditional structure, you can't really do that because of the politics behind it. So those were, those are just like the three ownership structures. And that's something that you can find also in the risk factors. So like if you do a, a search, like a control F where you're searching for a word in the document and you search for majority, then I've seen at least a couple times with a couple of the stocks I own, when there's a majority shareholder, they, that's where they'll put it. They'll put in the risk factors and they'll say, hey, there's a majority shareholder and they own the voting rights. And so they might vote and you won't you wouldn't be able to kind of put your voice in there so you can you can use that to kind of if you're monitoring what's going on with the board of directors if if you're reading the news and you see them talking about the board of directors um or any sort of thing that has to do with big decisions with the business and shareholders and proxy votes and all those sorts of things hopefully that gives you some context uh, straight out of the mouth of Warren Buffett himself, a man who's obviously a really great investor, businessman, has been on a ton of board of directors, and he I'm sure he's seen plenty of businesses that have, have done great things for shareholders and ones who just didn't fulfill their fiduciary responsibilities. So another reason or another way you can kind of get behind the curtains, so to speak, of, of what's going on with the business and get some context on on some of the things you see play out, and maybe if 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 you see numbers that have that have been trending in the wrong way, you already had an uneasy feeling about the stock, and then you see something regarding the board that could be a, a reason to to get out completely. Those were Andrew came up with some great ideas. Those are fantastic things. I honestly had never thought of any of those three before, so I'm glad he shared that with us. Those were kind of interesting. And I wanted to kind of tag off a little bit about what he was saying with the CEO being the majority shareholder or there being a majority shareholder. I want to give you a couple of examples that kind of sprang to mind while Andrew was talking about that. The first one would be uh, Tesla, our buddy Elon Musk. That is a perfect example of how this can be a problem because he is the majority shareholder. He's also the CEO. And the board of directors has really no choice but to rubber stamp everything he wants to do. And as we've seen through the past few years, that has caused lots of problems because there's no check and balance against his power. And as the saying goes, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's a perfect example of it. Another example that I think would bear some fruit to look into would be Amazon. With some of the troubles that they've experienced recently, Jeff Bezos is the majority shareholder. He's also the CEO. Therefore, the the board of directors is going to have no choice but to rubber stamp anything that he wants to do. Now, I'm sure there's lots of other companies out there that 
have this situation that I'm just not thinking of at the moment. But those are two that kind of spring to mind just recently because they've had some issues. And those are some things that can cause problems. And so those are things that as you're reading through the risks is thinking about the management and the structure of the management can definitely have a bearing on your investment in the company and any sort of problems that may arise in the future would be bear some looking into as a way of keeping track of what's going on with your investments. It's not always just about the money and the numbers. There are qualitative things that you have to think about as well. And this is definitely one of them. And that's something that is definitely not talked a lot about, if at all. I've, you know, as I mentioned earlier, this is not something that I had thought about in that way that Warren Buffett so eloquently described and Andrew uh, helped us understand. So I think those are great things to think about as well. Yeah, I kind of see it as like part of a checklist. You know, I don't think you'll ever find a stock that kind of checks all your boxes. But, you know, as an example, maybe growth isn't as good like from a numbers perspective maybe i love all the valuations but the growth isn't as great as this other stock over here and then maybe from a qualitative side maybe i really like the way the business is structured i don't like the business ownership you have to figure out which hills you want to die on and which ones you're okay with and i think just being aware is is better than being blind absolutely that's very well said All right, folks. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and a deeper dive into the 10Ks. Andrew had some really great points and I really enjoyed discussing risks and the business overview. There's some really great nuggets you can find in there if you just look a little bit harder and they can really help you with your investing. I also wanted to mention that Andrew and I have our masterclass that is still open. It'll be open until sometime in February. If you're really looking to find a great resource to help you learn more about all the great things that we talk about on the podcast, this is it for you. So if you are interested in that, check out the website, einvestingforbeginners.com. You'll find links there for the masterclass. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. Go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.